Thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of the Now of Work. I feel like we could literally have this conversation every single day and it would look different and sound different because the Now of Work is changing so, so fast, which is exactly why I've got Dr. Simone Ahuja on our episode today, on our podcast today, because she's all about innovation. Oh my gosh, if this isn't a huge topic, I'd love to unpack. So Dr. Ahuja, thank you for joining me, best-selling author and innovation strategist. And everybody should go visit Blood Orange to know what we're talking about. We'll give you all of the details in the show notes. Um, but Dr. Ahuja, thank you for joining me from my own city. See, I call it my city. I don't, I from our own city. Of from Boston. our own city. Happy to be here. It's so fun to talk to you, Jess. Oh, it's so fantastic chatting with you. We had this little conversation before we started. How do we not know each other? I think every Neapolitan <laughs> feels like they should know every other Minneapolitan. That's exactly right. It's the it's the biggest small town in the world, right? Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself for those uh, followers and listeners we have who might not know about your work. Sure. I love to dive into innovation. I say I'm an innovation strategist and often people are like, what does that really mean? And people in my family, my friends often still ask me, what does that really mean? So if I just break it down, it's really about most organizations need innovation, pretty much everyone to drive growth. Um, and for a host of other reasons that I think, you know, we'll, we'll dig into today. So I help organizations think, well, well what does that look like? What is our innovation strategy? A lot of organizations don't have one that's really articulated well. Sometimes we're not connected to business strategies. We make sure everything's kind of aligned. And then we help them think about a plan about how to get there. We often do that um, by creating systems of innovation inside organizations. And, you know, I have a lot of focus right now. We do a lot of focusing on entrepreneurship. So that's how do we build internal entrepreneurs and organizations, which I think is um I think what I didn't know when I started my research several years ago and worked with organizations and kind of got into the trenches, you know, in the living, breathing organizations is that it's actually a powerful driver of engagement and how do we hang on to the, like, the best and the brightest in our organizations and others, you know, how do we bring everyone along? So I think, um, you know, that's something that's been really powerful to learn about over the last few years, too. Such a fascinating topic in so many ways, I almost don't know where to start. So Blood Orange is the name of your advisory firm. And you wrote a book as part of the way you deliver, you know, sort of your thought leadership around this. You wrote a book called Disrupt It Yourself. So we're already throwing around two really exciting words, disruption and innovation. Does, I feel like this is a chicken or egg thing. Like, do you have to disrupt in order to innovate? Do, like, do you actually have to like, just shake it all up, flip the table, crumb, you know, and then, you know, sort of build from there or, or like, and, and I, have a, I have a way of asking two or three questions at once and disruption has happened to us, yeah. right? And I love the title of your book because you say disrupt it yourself, which, which implies that you can control this. You can be strategic and thoughtful and planful about this. So disruption isn't chaotic. All right, I'll be quiet now. There's, there's, you pick what you want. <laughs> well, here's what I'll say. So the answer to your question about whether you have to disrupt to innovate is no. And it's kind of great news because it means more people can play in the mix. Um, you know, I want to share an example of why it's hard sometimes for people to dive into innovation. You know, 
what I like to do is flip the whole thing on its head because I think while disruption is important and I think it's important to even think about how do we disrupt ourselves because we know that this whatever we're doing right now probably won't be relevant forever or even for long nowadays right whether you have a product offering or a service or a certain business model and so I, I like to say innovation can be not simplistic and not to overly simplify it but it can be simpler if you have a good framework if you're really clear on where you're headed knowing that you're going to have to adjust along the way if you build the right culture around it and it's not to say that's easy work but there is a way to do it that creates more consistent innovation and what I think is really interesting um, about you know the pandemic you said you know we're all being disrupted we've all been disrupted so so everybody was talking about this before the pandemic right things are more volatile we talk about VUCA so it's like complexity and volatility and change and fast pace and then the pandemic and then it became really clear to everyone now the irony of this for me and probably for your listeners is at the time I was working with a fortune 50 HR organization as they were thinking about well how do we drive innovation inside of our COE in this organization. And that's not very common, candidly, like that's not usually the calls that, that we get, is how do we develop our own innovation strategy as an HR organization? How do we leverage this to do our jobs better? And then how do we use that further to support others in the organization so they can be more innovative? And, you know, we start out always by doing kind of an indexing. Where do we stand with innovation right now? Do we have an innovation strategy? Do we not have one? Um, you know, what are the barriers to innovation? What does it look like? What are the things that are working really well? And so, and we do this in a pretty comprehensive way, but we can do it at sort of all levels. In this case, you know, we did this through a series of activities, including interviews with senior leaders and um, some observation and some talking with folks in the trenches. And we found a host of barriers that are not uncommon for most organizations. I'll list them for you and probably everybody who's in a large organization will nod their head. They'll say time is a huge barrier. They will say that hierarchy is a barrier. Bureaucracy and process is a barrier to innovation. A lack of resources is a barrier to innovation. Um, risk and fear aversion is a huge barrier was for this organization. I think is pretty much for most organizations. So those are the things that that came up for us. And, you know, over the course of a few months, we were very meticulously and diligently working on identifying these, defining a strategy, and then creating systems and approaches so that we could actually overcome these barriers. But the truth is, there was a lot of resistance internally, there was lots and lots of resistance for a variety of reasons. The most interesting thing that happened though is the pandemic struck and every single one of those barriers disappeared. Every single one. While we were kind of you know, chipping away at them, the pandemic happened and all of a sudden we saw flattening hierarchies. In this organization that actually was pretty top down, pretty traditional, in a pretty traditional industry too, we saw the democratization of decision making. So things became more decentralized. And it was celebrated, not you didn't get like a slap on the wrist. So that completely changed how problems, as you can imagine, HR felt a lot of the brunt of the pandemic, right? How do we get our people online? How do we serve our employees who are serving the employees who are tired, who are managing 
you know, unfortunate events like sickness and death in their families. I mean, how do we do all of these things together? And I think the most powerful thing I saw was the empowerment of employees who typically didn't have it, frankly. That was the most beautiful thing that, you know, it's one of those silver linings of the pandemic. So we had less hierarchy, we had less bureaucracy, less process, we had, you know, decentralized decision-making, we had trust. You are closest to the problem, you're smart, you're operating for the greater good, you solve the problem. If you need help, I'm here to help you, but you probably don't need my help. If something goes wrong, we will figure it out. Very different than how the organization typically operated. Now, if we fast forward, what I'll say is, we are there, that, this organization is still reaping the benefits of, of that experience, but I'm hearing also sort of in the trenches, you know what, this thing about where I was celebrated and kind of made the hero for making these decisions in the moment and you know taking things by the reins that maybe were run up the chain or up and, up and down the chain before. Um, if I'm not doing that now, I'm, I might be getting a little slap on the wrist again. So we're kind of reverting back to how we were, not completely. So there's definitely been improvement, but it's happening. And I, I think it's the reason I'm underlining that is to say the pandemic and crisis can the, under the right leadership, with the right strategy, it can create a tremendous opportunity for organizations to become, to have better cultures, which is what happened in this organization. The problem comes when we go back to that time issue and we don't take time to reflect, well, why did this happen? How did it happen? What are the things that we can, you know, what are the enablers so that we can make these things stay in place? The, you know, the, the stuff that was good how do we really keep that stuff? And so that's, I would say, my challenge to every organization is to look at as well, there were changes in almost every organization, right? So, you know, it could be we changed from making, you know, sunglasses to um, protective equipment for medical workers or from, you know, alcohol you drink to sanitizer, right? All these things happen. But it's also in very much in HR, it's like, how do we better support our employees? So our end users being the employees of the organization, and then how do we help the people in HR support them? And this way, you know, how do we help them innovate? So I think, you know, these are some of the things that, um, this is why the pandemic, I think was a great driver of innovation. Uh, and I think the disruption, the training that everyone get is, you know, should not be undervalued, but also it shouldn't be swept under the rug now that people are starting to feel like things are, they're getting used to sort of the, the new state of the state. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so good. And you went somewhere. I was, I was thinking in my mind, as you were talking, how do organizations sort of take, take inventory almost of uh, the disruption, the changes, the transformation um, that have occurred and be really mindful and intentional about, because otherwise I think it, we will slip back. We, the, the natural human or sort of like organizational tendency might be back to slip back to what feels familiar and known and comfortable or was just status quo. It's what we remember. And I, I, I think the good news, if there's good news of the pandemic is that it's lasted long enough we've been able to forget a little bit. And so the new normal does feel more normal and sustainable and more like current reality. 
you know, current state. Um, but I still think there's going to be this natural inclination to, to say, well, I sort of remember nine to five office hours. And so it feels like we should be going back to that, right? Or I sort of remember this is how school used to work for my grade school children. So we're going back to that, right? And I think it would be incredibly useful, especially in support of innovation, to just take note and be really intentional about the stuff that actually we don't want to go back. That's one thing where we shouldn't go back to what was because that needed to be disrupted anyway. That was ripe for transformation anyway. In our exactly. business, I love that you, you, know, you have your advisory firm that talks about innovation. Your book title references disruption. LeapGen is all about transformation. So we've got all these words that but we're really talking about the same thing. And that's our ability to change and adapt and become something new and to stay relevant. And literally everybody on the planet is having to do that, but we're just doing it at like this hyper pace, which feels incredibly uncomfortable, but it's a good thing, right? Isn't that the human condition and, and how businesses need to think about sustainability anyway? Yeah. I mean, I think this idea of adaptability and agility, these words get tossed around a lot too, but if, if you ask me, you know, what is the number one trait that leaders and managers and others need to have, you know, going forward into this time, it's really, they have to have that. They have to have the ability to, to, to change and to embrace and welcome the change. And if you have, you know, that kind of starts with a mindset that becomes about culture, it becomes about a whole host of activities that can support it. And I think to your point about, you know, what can organizations do about to, to maintain some of the good stuff, the goodness of, you know, what changes they saw, you know, are a few things is, so, so really take some time to think about, and that's hard, but time for reflection and innovation is important. It's time when we think about, it's you know, time is important when we think about how do we make ourselves better? If we don't have time to reflect and we're always executing on things without time to really think or strategize, I think that's when people sort of fall short. And, you know, if we ask ourselves, well, why did it happen? How did it happen? And then how do we enable that to continue? Like, what are the supporting mechanisms that we need in place, for example? How do we write a job description differently so we can drive more innovation? How do we make our leaders, they have to be able to shift too, right? I have a principle in my book called Make It Permissionless. And if there's one phrase that makes a lot of managers and leaders recoil in traditional organizations, especially, it's this like, well, not really permissionless, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, actually kind of permissionless. <laughs> I mean, you're not going off the rails. But what you are doing is you're trusting people, you're giving them space to play, you're giving them air cover, you're assuming that they have knowledge and insight. And those people, when you're there, treated that way, they will want to stay with you. They will do better work. They will lift up the company. They will do better for your customers. And if I think and reflect back on the clients that we had through the pandemic, including this HR organization, why did they, why were they able to operate in this way? and maybe not as much before or even after, is because they were really clear. They had a very clear sense of purpose. So everybody knew that this was really important. There was no discussion. There was no, and it was, it was, it was a, a greater sense of purpose. It wasn't, we make a widget or we answer phone calls. It was, we're gonna support the people of our organization through this trying time in these specific ways. 
Um, so I think that's, you know, that's one thing. And then the priorities were really clear because I think that's competing priorities are another barrier to innovation. But during the pandemic, all the chaff got kind of sifted out, you know, for those of us in the Midwest and understand farm references, right? So, so you, you, it was like a sieve, you put it through a sieve. Here's what's important. We're gonna focus on these three or four things. The rest of the things aren't gonna move the needle right now, let's get to it. That's another thing that organizations are often afraid to do. And this, this is true in innovation too. You gotta be able to, you gotta be able to experiment and try things and you have to be clear about when things aren't adding value. You know, and I think the other, the other piece is that trust piece. Um, you know, how do we build these organizations where we can say to people, you're right there. You're in a call, you're in a call center or support center. You talk to our end users every single day, every single day. I trust you and I want you to tell me if there's a theme that's popping up amongst the people you're talking to, tell me about it. This is a pipeline. I value what you have to say, which is exactly what we built for one organization is what is the pipeline for the people in their care center or call center to share their ideas and knowledge, right? So those are, those are some of the things I think, those are the whys and I think the time for reflection is a part of what becomes the how. How do we ensure that all the good changes stick? I love that so much. I think, you know, some of what we've, we've seen with, you talked about trust, you know, we figured out <laughs> that people can work remotely and, and, and can stay productive and reliable and accountable. Like that is so silly to me that we had to figure that out, but the pandemic certainly helped us do that. Or that we had to figure out that some people might actually prefer and feel more effective uh, working in a different environment that didn't require being next to colleagues, but maybe some people do want to like, again, we had to figure that out, but I think the pandemic really, I, I feel like I've, I heard somebody else use this phrase and I love it. We sort of learned like adult working. We forced adult working. Can we please all treat each other like adults, give each other the respect and dignity that should come with being a working adult, trust that certain things are true, assume positive intent, assume that people want to be yes. uh, you know, positive contributors of value and they want to know the organization's strategy and be connected to your purpose. We just haven't done a good enough job, I think, of, of what you just described, connecting the dots, but then sort of putting the mechanisms in place so that that can happen. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, it's funny, I was talking to um, some leaders who've been in their businesses for 30, 35 years. And, and one of them was really candid and saying, you know, the way we have to lead now is totally different than how it was when I came into the organization. And now we have to be, and welcomes this too. That's why, you know, this was a really forward-looking person. We have to be more vulnerable. We have to, um, it's not top-down. It is about trust. I, we do want to value and, and create something that's more collaborative. It doesn't mean that we don't guide or provide strategy, but we trust people to figure things out on the, you know, on their own. And I think, you know, coming back to just your statement about purpose, if you ask me, you know, what is one of the most fundamental things to driving disruption um, and building a, a really strong innovation and a positive culture in general, always and not, not couldn't be any more true than right now. It's, it really is about that purpose, which again, gets thrown around a lot, but it's, it's sort of, um, it's the thing that 
gives people kind of a North Star. It is the thing that people can rally around. I was talking with some C-suite folks at Stanley Black & Decker, who was a former client of mine, and they, a few years ago, created this purpose statement of, for those who create the world, right? It was this big, meaningful purpose. It wasn't, we make widgets, we make tools, we make security stuff. It was for those who make the world and it implies we have this greater purpose and it's not about us it's about them mm -hmm. right and then underneath that are things like well we innovate with purpose and what does that mean that means that we're listening to the people that we're serving we're not making assumptions about them um, you know they're doing a lot of work in the um, ESG, so the environmental social governance side of things, right? That a lot of more socially conscious organizations use. They are dive into innovation in different areas, right? Whether it's uh, you know it's venture funds or whether it's startups, you know, and partnering with them or entrepreneurship. And I think entrepreneurship gives people a tremendous sense of purpose and all of these things together can help to drive innovation and some disruption i mean candidly most large organizations if we look at the portfolio of what they're doing most of when we think of innovation we think of kind of the vanilla coke of you know innovation which isn't is that really innovation hard to say but that's sort of like the incremental that's where most organizations lie broadly you know, and then there's kind of the middle piece of breakthrough innovation where it's like, well, do we have a completely new, new, you know, a new product or something that's delivered to a different market? And then the disruptive innovation further and farther between. But if we think about things like how do we how do we reinvent our organizations in a way that's not difficult? So we're not upending it, but those things like what is the way that we can bring our call center employees or other folks that are more like individual contributors into the mix so that they're helping us solve problems? And it doesn't mean that they're not doing other parts of their jobs, but it gives us a better lens, maybe some additional insights we didn't have. And it lets the, and it gives them some fulfillment, right? I have a chapter in my book called Passion and Purpose. You've got to, the passion gives people kind of the jet fuel they need to keep going when things get hard and solving problems and doing things in different ways in large organizations we all know is really hard. This passion, if people are passionate about something, if they feel a sense of purpose, it will help them go through those, those times. And you know, I, I had another book actually uh, called Jugad Innovation. It was all about frugal innovation. So how do we solve problems, even if we don't have a lot of resources, which is kind of fundamental to entrepreneurship like entrepreneurs aren't waiting for a bunch of budget and resources they just sort of start getting into action which i think is some of the again it's not about oh i'm waiting for headcount or i'm waiting for budget it's like well, what can i do right now that's the power of entrepreneurship but in jugad innovation i had this principle called follow your heart and this was about almost 10 years ago now and so when i would speak about it i'd say it a little bit quietly and the sixth principle is you know follow your heart and you know, a little bit like that's ah, not very meaty. Like, can you really sink your teeth into that? Are people going to really understand what that means if we don't have a deep discussion about it? And now it's like, yeah, passion and purpose. I mean, that is so fundamental to what, for example, in my research and the folks I've worked with, the people who are really moving the needle are the ones who are passionate and feel purposeful about their work. So that to me is really a, a significant driver of you know, innovation and disruption. And then I think, you know, another piece is really about the people and the people means different things. And you, you know, you're all about the people, right? So you could probably speak to this 
more than I can. But you know, it's sort of like, what are leaders doing? How are they guiding disruption? Um, how are they presenting and behaving? What kind of modeling are they providing? And then on the other side is the people in your organization, how are we lifting them up? I guess that's the one thing I'd really like people to think about. How are we lifting them up? Can we use tools like entrepreneurship to do that? Because it kind of creates multiple benefits, right? People feel engaged, they stay in your organization longer. Importantly, your end users, whoever they are, they could be people within your organization, they could be people outside of your organization, they're gonna be served in a way that's more effective. It could be they're served faster or in a better way or something that's cheaper, fewer resources and so on. And, and you create kind of this culture of people who, who wanna play in the sandbox together. I mean, who doesn't want that? I love that. And yes, to bring to bring this home, we are all about people. And I, I, I'm so happy that everything we talk about in terms of workforce experience and engagement and culture, and even how to apply technology to business problems, we're finally figuring out how to put people, 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 people at the center of all of these strategies. And, and the last thing I'll say, when you talk about passion and purpose, the most powerful force in the world is human emotion. Why would you not hitch every wagon to that? If you literally, like what you said about lifting people up, connecting their passion to your organizational purpose, you have just harnessed the most powerful force in the world. People want to do, and I, I'm an optimist and I, I believe these things. I think people want to show value. We want to make the world better. We want to support positive change. We, I think we naturally want all of these things. And if you can just connect me and give me a goal and, and sort of guideposts and, and sure, put the bumpers up if I, to make sure that I, I know how, what permissionless means. Yes. <laughs> but right. if you can harness that, innovation will happen a lot faster. It won't need to be forced. I think you'll, you'll have created the environment and the conditions where it can happen. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Jess. And, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people, of course, um, there have been more conversations finally around DEI, you know, what does inclusivity mean? Why is it important? Um, and, and, you know, there are lots of links between inclusivity and innovation. Um, there is data around this. I mean, if you're in the top quartile of ethnic diversity in your organization, you're going to have um, probably 30 plus percent um, greater revenue than your competitors. So, you know, this is there the real business case for it. Obviously, it is a moral imperative. It is for the greater good. And frankly, it is about time that organizations are paying a lot more attention in a more meaningful way. I, I think there's always more work to do. Uh, but this piece, and this again goes back for me to entrepreneurship, because it's about inclusivity. It's not, a, it's about the democratization of innovation. It's not really about, well, innovation for the innovation elite. It's about, you're a smart person. You've got some insights. You've got something to share. We wanna hear it. And we have a system in place that will help guide you through if you want that help, or if you wanna hand off that idea um, to, to someone else. Um, it's very much connected to that psychological safety piece we talked about too. Do I feel safe sharing my ideas? I mean, in one organization, we, we gave leaders their data from their groups. And one of the biggest risks or barriers we found in this person's group was, I don't feel safe sharing ideas, new ideas. And the leader looked at it and said, 
they had all reviewed their data and she said, well, that's not true in our organization. And I mean, we're actually looking at the piece of paper. <laughs> and it's very hard for people to absorb that, you know, oh I mean, my gosh. We, went on a, we went on a journey together and we had to really understand, you know, what, why is that true? Um, I think the, a great example for people is like, I think if you've heard of Project Aristotle over at Google and they were looking at, well, which of our, which of our groups are really the most um, impactful, innovative, et cetera. And they tried to figure out, well, who is it? And I think there were some hypotheses about, well, it's probably the most, you know, experienced in, it could be, you know, maybe they're the most pedigreed or they went to this, you know, Stanford or they, but it wasn't, it was none of that. It was the groups that had the highest trust among them that were the most impactful groups. So how do you build that? I think that's one of the things we've worked on in this organization. So how do you build that trust so that you can have the inclusivity that leads to more innovation and potentially even disruptive innovation. And even if it's incremental innovation, that's great too. That's still gonna help you and move the needle, but you do it in small ways. I think the thing that I like to share is you don't always have to upend. I think innovation is often talked about um, as being complicated, but the sophisticated organizations are doing what you exactly said, Jess, which is accessing the emotion, building the trust, those are, the, in a, those are the organizations that are going to move the needle. They're doing things like just asking people, you know, what are your new ideas? Or, or a leader sharing an idea that's kind of off the wall or talking about a time when they did something or said something that didn't quite work out, but there was a lesson in it. So those are small things. I mean, one of the actual things that they started doing are having these conversations in a standing meeting. Can we take 10 minutes at the beginning of that meeting to talk about something that worked and some things that didn't work. I mean, these are great ways to, to build trust in your group. And, and it actually, it creates a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fun. So, you know, I think I shared with you that, that when your organization contacted me and said, this podcast is going to be a lot of fun. I was like, I mean, I didn't actually read the whole thing. Nobody <laughs> ever said that. <laughs> because we deserve to have fun. We deserve Things to have fun. fun. Work is fun. Challenge us. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> yes. Who doesn't want that? So similarly, like, who are the players that are making it fun for people? You know, it doesn't have to be the traditional, you know, I'm, you know, on a roller coaster in Las Vegas. It's, but it, fun is, our work can be really fun. Like this conversation is a ton of fun. So when we bring that to our people, we can create a better culture. We can drive more innovation um, and we, we have better results. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. I knew this conversation was going to be pure gold. All right. Thank you again, our guest. Uh, this was so much fun. Again, for everyone listening, Blood Orange is the advisory firm. Disrupt it yourself. I love that book title. I love the whole concept. That's the book that you can check out. Uh, we love that everybody listened to this ep episode today. And Dr. Ahuja, thank you so much for being my guest. As a fellow Minneapolitan, thank you for spending this gorgeous fall afternoon with me. Uh, and we'll catch everybody again on our next episode.